Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. And I just want to talk for a few minutes about, about this Jesus. Because if you're a Christian, you will have your own story of how you came to know Jesus. I have my, my own story that I want to share, and I just want to really ask a question from the Gospel of Mark, a, a question uh, that changed my life forever, ever, and in a way that Lara is testifying to her life having changed forever. I grew up in West London, and I grew up going to, a, I grew up going to church, basically. I'm a, I'm a church kid. Any church kids in the house? You grew up going to church? Like, you know how church works, right? Like, you know, you know, you feel comfortable in church. You know the people, you know, there's kind of the older people that are kind of there in the background. You know when you're allowed and not allowed to get the communion bread. You know all the sheets that you need to colour in in Sunday school you know all the disciples Jesus with the sheep etc Jesus by the world you've colored in all the sheets you know church and I, that's me I, I grew up as a church kid I knew the songs at the time when I was like four five six seven they seemed like so long I couldn't believe how long church songs used to be I thought I would faint at boredom my first whenever okay psalm well, song well, 29 okay six verses that's not a good one you know it's like that was my I was just, but I knew how everything works then we went to HDB it was just up the road from here and then we went to a Baptist church when I was in my teenage years and so I got this all this experience of church or the different ways of doing church, more formal styles of doing church, less formal styles of doing church. I just knew how it worked. And it got to the age of like 14, 15, 16. And basically, I, as soon as I was allowed not to go to church, I told my parents that I really needed to revise. And Sunday morning happened to be the only time I could revise in the week for my exams. So I got off church. So I stayed at home. And my parents, when you know, they left, I went downstairs and turned on E4 watch TV, 10 minutes to go before they came back. I went upstairs, obviously, started getting my books out. But I, because I, I thought I knew church. I knew Jesus, I knew the gospel. I had, as I look back, I think been in a sense vaccinated to Jesus. I had all enough of church and enough of like Bible kind of background to my life that I thought I knew Jesus. I had enough, just enough of him to think that I knew him. And therefore, I essentially rejected him at the age of 13, 14, 15. And that can happen in our life. For those of us who have been brought up in church, or even if we've just become aware of church, you know, if we've been to church a few times, we've been to a wedding, we've been to a funeral, you know, we've been at some special occasions. We kind of think we know church and that can vaccinate us actually against knowing Jesus Christ. Because I had church down. I knew church. I felt comfortable in church. But Jesus, I did not know. He was this man who was in the background. I was churched, but no Jesus. I had a form of churchianity, but I did have no Christianity. And all of this, what we're about, is not about getting people into a church, into a club. It is about presenting Jesus Christ. Our vision as a church, we put it on our logos, is to see the glory of God known. And that's not an abstract, spiritual thing. To see the glory of God known is to know a person, Jesus Christ. So we're told in Hebrews, he is the very essence of the glory of God. If you want to know what the glory of God is, you look into the face of Jesus Christ. It's not a vague modern spirituality it is a relationship with a man Jesus 
And so for us, we have to be careful that church doesn't inoculate us to the power and the presence of the person of Jesus Christ. That we don't become dull to the reality of who he actually is. And so at the age of 16, the pastor of the Baptist church that I went to, David Shawner, a great man, he invited me to go to a coffee shop. And at the age of 16, I was just getting into coffee and I was like, why not? And so we went to this Italian coffee shop just next to Ealing Broadway Station, filled with smoke. It wasn't the glory of God. It was in the days where you could smoke legally. And Italians, as I found out, like to smoke a lot in their coffee shops. So this place was just thick with smoke. And so we walked in and at 16, I thought this was a really cool place to be. And he just started talking to me about Jesus. And he made this challenge to me. He said, will you read the Bible for yourself? So I'd grown up in church for like 16 years. I'd never actually really read the Bible for myself. I'd read bits, you know, a verse when the you know, Sunday school teacher would say, let's all read John 3.16. Okay, good. No, I'd never actually read a gospel for myself. He said, don't go on hearsay. Don't go what your friends say. Read it for yourself. So he said, okay, two weeks time, we'll come back. You read a couple of chapters of the gospel of Mark, and then you come back and you ask, ask questions. And that's what we did. So he bought the coffee, which is great. And I asked the questions. And every two weeks for months, and in the end, years on and off, we would meet, I'd read a few chapters, and we'd talk about... And do you know what? I was, I was stunned. I was undone when I actually read about the life of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. I could not believe in my mind that I had been so close to a man who was so good and so trustworthy and so powerful for all of this time and yet had missed him. I couldn't believe that I'd gone all this time in church where people were talking about him but had missed the magnetic captivating glory of this man Jesus Christ it was as I read the gospels that he became alive to me Albert Einstein he was asked once in a, in a magazine for, for Time magazine he said do you believe in the historical Jesus Christ and he said this unquestionably he says no one can read the gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus his personality pulsates in every word no myth is filled with such life and this is what happened to me I was reading the Gospel of Mark and I found myself in the presence of Jesus. And this is my hope and my aim for every single one of us as we go from this place. Not that we think, hey, that was a nice time in church or tick, I've done church. I feel a bit better about myself today. But that we would leave this place and go home or go to lunch with this in our hearts and our minds. I am in the presence of Jesus. He is not a dead man, a good teacher who was crucified a few thousand years ago, but he is alive today and I find myself in his presence so whether we're Christians and we've actually got dull to the reality that Jesus is actually alive we would leave this place thinking, I'm in the presence of God that he was raised from the dead some of us we might not be Christians here today we want to say you are so welcome the point of church is not to help assuage some of our guilt. It's that we meet Jesus Christ who takes our guilt and throws it as far as the east is from the west so that it may never touch us again. This is not about a therapeutic session. This is about something that God has done in taking our guilt from us, separating it from us in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we might go from this place knowing Jesus. I am, in a sense, wanting to polarise opinion. Because I think when you read the Gospels, you don't find people meeting Jesus and then walking away saying, 
he was a nice chap <laughs> and then getting on with their life you don't find people saying he really is a marvelously good teacher and then going to have sunday lunch what do you find out in the gospels you either you have people who fall down on their knees and say this is the lord who knows everything about me or people walk away hating jesus Jesus polarised opinion. And that was for me at the age of 16, just turning 17, I realised that I could not keep Jesus in the background of my life. His presence was too uncomfortable for me just to keep as someone in the background. I either had to say, yes, I give you everything, or I had to walk as far away as possible from him because just having him in the background of my life was now too uncomfortable. C.S. Lewis said there are only really three options about Jesus if we're going to be sincere and authentic and honest with the Gospels, if we're going to come with any sense of sincerity and hear Jesus on his own terms, we've only got three options. Firstly, we've got to come to the conclusion this guy is a liar. That actually he was out to start a religion and he was, uh, he was manipulative. That he actually came with devious intention to start something that was false. That's our first conclusion. The second conclusion is that this guy was a lunatic, that actually he's just, he didn't have his marbles. Like he just didn't actually know because people would bow down and worship him and he would gladly accept it. Thomas would say, my Lord and my God, and Jesus would stand and accept it. He'd have to be a very clever lunatic because he tricked a lot of people, hundreds and thousands of people throughout his life. And now there are two billion people who pledge allegiance to this Jesus above any other allegiance on the face of the earth. So he's a very clever lunatic, but that is one possible. The third, and I think the only possible conclusion when we come to the gospel sincerely, is that Jesus is who he said he is, and that is the Lord of all. And we have to come to our own decision on this. And this is why I want to read this question in the middle of Mark's gospel. When we, when we write like blog posts or books, very oftentimes, you know, we wait for the climax of the end of our writing in the Western world, don't we? If you're writing a blog post, if you do write blogs, like you're, you kind of want that zinger line at the end. And everyone's like, whoa, it's amazing. You know, and you go away thinking about that one line. In the Hebrew culture, you would put the point, the climax, the punchline, the zinger right in the middle. It was the climax was placed in the middle. And in the middle of Mark's gospel, 16 chapters, in chapter 8, we have Jesus asking this question of us. He says this, first to his disciples in chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples this question. Who do people say that I am? Jesus says this, who do people say that I am? And we've got to be clear, this is not Jesus like having an insecure moment. You know, like, like guys, can you just tell me like, how are things going out there? Like, are people like buying the message? How are he's not like taking a poll on his, you know, PR and how his relations are going. He is asking for our sake, for the disciples' sake. He is finding out, has anyone clocked who I actually am yet for our sake? And if we ask that question today, a lot of people would say, hey, well, no, he's a, he's a good man. You know, it's, it's historically undeniable that he was a man who existed. And people would say, well, he's a good man. Maybe he's a good teacher. 
Maybe he was not like he was a tolerant man. A lot of times he's a man who actually embodies, you know, the moment, the cultural moment that we're in. So David Cameron a few years ago, you know, he told the church, didn't he? The church has to get with the program. Like Jesus is a man who kind of embodies our cultural moment and everything that we aspire to in any given moment. He's this kind of spiritual symbol that we place all of our desires for tolerance onto and change in whatever culture that we're in. Prince Philip apparently a few years said this about Jesus. He said Jesus might be described as an underprivileged working class victim of political and religious persecution. Like he's kind of this, this guy who is kind of slightly misunderstood and we kind of pity Jesus. Like we look at Jesus on the cross and we're like we're sorry for him. Jesus doesn't actually leave us with this kind of question that just sits in the public forum. Because they answer them, they say this. They say, well, some are saying you're John the Baptist. And others say Elijah. And others say you're one of the prophets. So they're esteeming Jesus. You're important. We believe you are an important religious leader. And Jesus does not allow them to talk about Jesus in, over there, like in the public space. What, what's happening out there? Jesus always takes it to the heart. He can be awkward with us sometimes. He gets to our heart, to your heart, and he asks them this question. He asks them, but who do you say that I am? I'm not going to ask you to answer this, but if Jesus were to be here in the room right now and said, who do you say that I am? How would you respond? This is the very point why Mark wrote this gospel. For this question, who do you say that Jesus is. He started this in 1 1 at the very start. He said, This is the beginning of the good news of this man, Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. And Mark lays the reality of his life before us. This man who would heal people with his words, and people would get up, men who were paralyzed, women who were paralyzed, they would get up and they would walk away. He would walk up to strangers and he would tell them that he himself forgives them. Do you understand the audacity of a man who would walk up to a stranger and say, I give you forgiveness? Like he walks into situations like he is the offended one. And he says, I'll forgive you. And the religious leaders who don't like him are like, you can't just say that. Like, oh, it's easy to say. Of course, I could say, I forgive you. Like, who knows? Well, and he, it's, he says, OK, I'll prove it. And so he gets a man up from, the, from the, being paralyzed and he walks off. He says, I forgave this man. He walks around life like he owns things, like he's God. He speaks to the weather, like, not like Gandalf trying to conjure up kind of some strength. He just speaks. And the weather listens to Jesus. This is a different type of man who walked on the face of the earth. The disciples were in the boat with him in that moment when he spoke to the weather. They were afraid of the weather to start with. And then when they saw Jesus speaking to the weather, we're told that they were even more afraid of Jesus because they realized they were in the presence of a man who had a power that was not from this world. They answered, asked this question, who then is this that even the weather systems would listen to him and bow down to him? Asking this question, who is Jesus? And Peter was recorded as the first one to get it. He says, you, Jesus, you are the Christ. And this word Christos simply means anointed one, anointed with the Holy Spirit, symbolized in the Old Testament with oil, that a prophet would come and anoint a king with oil when it was their turn to reign. 
And Peter recognizes Jesus and he says, you are the one that we have waited for. You are the promised king anointed by the Holy Spirit. We coronate our kings and queens. In these days, they anointed their kings and they said, this Jesus, you are the king and we are going to follow. He was the first to get it. And Jesus does something totally revolutionary for us because we would expect a king, a leader, you know, like our celebrity culture today. It's just like it's glamour, it's promotion, it's wealth, it's power, it's prestige. And Jesus does something completely the opposite. As soon as Peter gets it and he says, you're the king, you're the Christos, you're the one we're going to follow. Jesus says, OK, you've got that. I need to tell you something. And this is what he says. And not just once, time and time and time again. He says this. He began to teach them that the son of man himself must suffer many things and be rejected rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and hallelujah after three days be raised again to new life and he told them plainly and he said this time and time again so we cannot say of Jesus this is a, a poor man a good teacher but a poor man who we should pity he planned that as king, he will go to a cross and die for our sins. So in Mark 10, 45, he says this. He says, even the son of man himself, he came not to be served, not to do what normal kings do, but to serve, to come low and to give his life as a ransom for many. And Jesus willingly walks to a cross to be crucified, to be hung on a Roman bloodied, splintered cross crucified for your sin and for my sin so that in him we might receive the righteousness of God just what we've celebrated with Lara and in him we might receive life and so we find Jesus willingly going to a cross being crucified for us not to be pitied not for us to say oh Jesus if only we'd done better but to be worshipped as the son of God the first man to actually clock who this was outside of the disciples was a Roman centurion and we're told in Mark 15 this man he would have been one of those ones who had taken you know he might have been Jesus we don't know how long the shifts were at that point he might have been Jesus with four hours five hours eight hours 12 hours we don't know at what point he joined this crucifixion of Jesus Christ but he was involved in the mocking of Jesus, in flogging Jesus, ripping the flesh off his back, taking him to a cross, seeing him nailed to wood and then hanging him up like a, like a piece of meat to be humiliated in his death. He crucifies Jesus and then we're told as Jesus dies, this man, this Roman centurion, suddenly gets it. We read in Mark 15, these words he says in 39 when the centurion who had stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last he said truly this man was the son of God at the age of 17 just turning 17 I realized I was standing with this man looking at Jesus agreeing with him this is the son of God and I think many of us are like this man. We, we've done stuff that we might regret. 
things in our life we feel shameful about. This was a man who actually had the respect of his society. He walked through streets, people respected him. He had a pretty decent wage. He had men who worked for him. He had worldly power. He had stuff going for him in his life. And he looked a man who was naked, hanging on a tree. And he says, this man has a power that I do not have and cannot have in this world. This man is the son of God. He's the first man to get it. And I want to ask us, can we say when Jesus asks us, who do you say I am? Can we say with the Roman centurion, you, Jesus, are the son of God? Can we look at this man crucified and say, here is power that is for me? Can we look at Jesus and say, this is forgiveness for me? This is not a man to be pitied, for us to feel sorry about. This is power being displayed in his crucifixion. Does something happen in our hearts where we say, I can't just sit on the fence about this man. I have to say, truly, this man is the son of God. And here is the wonderful news. Because Jesus knew he was going to be crucified and he knew he was going to be raised again. The disciples didn't get it. They walked away. But Jesus knew the plan. And by the glory of God, his father, he was raised to a brand new life on the third day. And so we're told that when the disciples came to the tomb of Jesus, what they found was not a dead man's body. They found the Roman soldiers had fled for fear of their life because they had come into contact with a power and a divinity that they could not explain. And so they ran. They came to a grave that was empty they only had a messenger from heaven an angel we're told who told them Jesus isn't here like he told you he says like he did tell you quite a few times he was going to be raised from the dead he is not here anymore he is alive and they leave the tomb we're told trembling and afraid let me just read this final sentence of Mark's gospel. They went out from, fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Why would you leave a tomb like this afraid? You think, okay, Jesus isn't here. I guess that's good news. Should we go find him? Where is he? But they leave this place trembling in their hearts. What on earth is going on? They have suddenly realized, and it is a dawning realization, that Jesus is actually who he said he is. <laughs> that everything that Jesus said is true, that he is the Lord. That he is the Lord of the heavens and the earth, that he controls all things, that everything he said about ransoming us from our sins is true, that he can give us forgiveness, that there is an eternal life, that there is a heaven and a hell, that this is not all there is, that God is so kind and generous that he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus just declares that everything in the Gospels is true about Jesus. And they go away with this trembling in their heart as they realize everything changes because of this reality. Christianity decentralized super quick from Jerusalem. Why? Because there was no grave that you could go to to pay your respects to Jesus. There were no bones that you could kind of gather around and pay your respects to a good man who was crucified. The Romans never showed the body of Jesus. There was never a grave created because Jesus 
was alive. You can go to many religious leaders today and find their tombs and go and pay reverent respect to them. But Jesus, there is no bones. There is no tomb because he is alive today. And if we understand that, there will be a trembling that happens in our hearts. Even if you're a Christian, let me say this today, even if you're a Christian, if you are aware that Jesus Christ is alive, that we live before a living man who is in the heavens right now, who watches all things and who has all power in his hands, our hearts will begin to tremble. I want to suggest that's the right response to the reality of Jesus as the God-man. I want to suggest that a trembling in your heart and a slight fear even is actually a, a response that says you are getting close to reality. Because in Jesus, we have a power that this world cannot hold. So where do we go from this place? We don't go to Jerusalem to go pay respects to his bones. His bones aren't there. He's alive. If you're not a Christian here today and you've witnessed Lara's baptism, you hear this question, who do you say that I am? You have to come to a conclusion. And I want to say with kindness, because someone else put this to me, this life is short and we will all one day die. And you will all stand before Jesus Christ. And the question will be asked and demanded of us in this life or the next. And what we're doing as a church is giving you the opportunity to respond with the Roman centurion and say, this is the son of God. I follow him. For some of you, you need to read the Gospel of Mark. I want to put out the challenge that was challenged to me. Some of you, you are making assumptions about Jesus. You have allowed church to vaccinate you against the person of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you, will you read the sources for yourself? Will you read the Gospel of Mark and make up your own mind about this Jesus Christ? Will you assess the data and ask questions talk to me if you would like and just say is this true because if jesus is who he said he is then everything changes in a moment we're going to sing in christ alone and deliberately because when i was 17 and for Lara, she's testifying what happened when we became christians is that we saw jesus for the first time and it was only jesus because in this death and resurrection is our salvation there is no salvation outside christ's death and his resurrection me preaching here and me being a good christian whether i am or not you can make up your own decision on that does not save me jesus christ him crucified and raised from the dead saves me me making that decision some 22 years ago or whatever did not save me jesus christ he saves me and works in my life me having a good week or a bad week doesn't affect jesus saves me a theologian called Karl barth was once asked as an old man when did you get saved someone was expecting well in 19 so and so when i was 22 years old he says i got saved 33 a.d like okay historically he got saved at a certain age but theologically he's absolutely bang on 
He got saved when Christ was crucified because there his sin was taken away from him. And in Christ's resurrection, there he finds his new life. I was saved in Christ's death and resurrection. I had nothing to do with it. Therefore, I can celebrate and walk from this place and live like I am forgiven because I am. And you can walk from this place knowing that you will not be condemned in the presence of Jesus Christ because condemnation has already been taken on Jesus and he has already been raised to a brand new life. You can walk into this week not fearing whether you're going to do well or do badly morally because if you're trusting in Christ, you have been saved already in his death and resurrection. I'm preaching as well as I can here. I'm comforted by the fact that someone said you might preach better or badly but the gospel is still true and Jesus is alive today and I guess I'm just imploring us not to leave this place thinking church was good you might have thought otherwise don't tell me if you did I don't want to know it's not good to me on a Sunday afternoon but that's not my heart. My heart is that we would leave this place thinking, Jesus, are you really who you said you are? It's my boy. <laughs> are you really who you said you are? No. For some of you, it might be the first time you said, I might be believing for the first time that Jesus actually is this. For some of you, it might be just a reignition of the fact that Jesus is Lord. Okay, I'm going to take that as a cue that we're going to move to worship. Can I just say something, actually, personally, just to change tack? Is that all right? And then we're going to, we're family, I guess. But Micah can run around sometimes. I don't know if you've noticed that. And he can disrupt church sometimes. We recently had a diagnosis of autism and ADHD for him, which I'm, I'm, I'm basically just sharing that as a dad and as a pastor and uh, sometimes he runs around and uh, we love him to bits and we're trying to parent him as best as we can um, but we, we just, I'm just explaining that's all I'm not asking for any ums or any ahs or anything like that maybe your prayers on occasion um, <laughs> but just to explain when we're a small if we're a massive church and you might look good, but we're a small church so we want to be family together just don't throw it in the water that's fine let's stand together let's get the band back up okay and let me just ask you just to be quiet before the Lord for a moment and I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask, ask us to do something just as we're standing and I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes it, it, it's not to create atmosphere it's just to help us focus and uh, I believe that the Holy Spirit works through scripture and that the question that Jesus asked us, asked the first disciples, he still does ask us. And I believe that as I read scripture, and as we read scripture out as a church, we actually hear the voice of God. So when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? I just want to ask, ask this question through the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to invite us just to respond in two ways. We're going to respond just by lifting up our hands. The first is this, just in this space.
if if in your heart you think yes i have been churched but i don't think i actually have known jesus in a personal relationship if you want that i'm simply going to ask you to lift up your hand in a minute the reason i'm asking you to lift up your hand is that as charles said truth needs to be embodied it needs to be fleshed out and what we do in a moment can actually help our hearts and so it's a way of just us responding to the lord so if in this moment you say actually i want i want to know jesus personally i don't want just church i want jesus can i ask you right now just to lift up your hand just while people have got their eyes closed you're doing it before the presence of jesus think of yourself there before him you say I, actually i i want to be before him i want that relationship with jesus mm -hmm.